0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host.
1: Saka, pide mano. No hay nada.
2: Continúa saca con el balón.
1: Arscast
3: extra hello and welcome to another ArsCast extra as always with james from gunner blog james
1: ah how sweet a sound to hear that again <laughs> the choir of angels oh, serenading
3: angels uh. it's been a long time since anyone has referred to me as Angels or a crowd of angels, <laughs> a flock of angels, whatever the collective noun
1: of angels is. Thank it you. is a goodly morning, though. It Andrew.
3: certainly it is. is. It certainly is. It's been a, a goodly week, and uh, it's still a goodly morning after what I think has been a very goodly weekend. Uh, how's it going with you, your end?
1: Yes, all well, thank you. Yeah? Um, I had a, a strange experience of, in terms of the game where I was away. I was at Stag do on the day, and yeah. I was on, initially on a train when the match kicked off um and it was sort of a w- weird kind of thing of almost being glad to not watch it because i was a bit nervous about the game and about the outcome mm-hmm. it was a, a big big match and it was quite nice to sort of you know not have all that kind of adrenaline coursing through me but fear i i arrived fear would be the word Yeah, yeah. i arrived into bristol um just in time, sort of dumped my bags and sort of sneaked to the pub to catch the final 20 minutes. And about two minutes after I walked into the pub, uh, Granite Shacker lashed that ball past David De Gea.
3: Pint, um, please, barkeep.
1: Yes. Well, I literally, <laughs> I, I, I heard a roar from the other end of the pub and it emerged there was a group of Arsenal fans watching uh the game and i i ran through to another room hugged about five strangers and then uh, <laughs> ran back out and rejoined the stack so it was a, a nice kind of interlude but then i watched the game in full uh on my return last night much more relaxing yeah <laughs> In i, I think I, in future i'm just gonna do that you know shut my eyes put my fingers in my ears and then watch it knowing the score because, oh, it's it's a blissful experience if they've won.
3: Yeah, it, it does um, take a lot of the the tension out of things. Uh, there was a good question here. Um, I wonder if I can find it now. Um, it was I saw this on the Discord, which I thought was quite good. C White 90 says, if I don't enjoy a football game until approximately the 90th minute due to nerves, both Chelsea and United, but enjoy it for the whole subsequent week, did I enjoy the football game? There's a sort of existential question about it. Yes, I suppose. Well, you, you get
1: to enjoy the aftermath, don't you? It's the basking. Mm. By the way, the pub I was in was Hort's on Broad State Street in Bristol. So if a random man sprinted up to you, hugged you, and then disappeared again shortly after Granite Shacker scored and you happened to be listening, that was me.
3: Okay.
1: Um, but uh, yeah, it is really interesting that. And actually,. Because obviously after the game I kind of read a lot about what people had written mm. and I listened to shows and stuff. And one thing I really thought was, you know, that a lot of the narrative in the discourse was about Arsenal looking and being very nervy. And I have to say that watching it cold, I didn't agree with that. I, I don't I think they made mistakes, but I don't think they were born of nerves. And when I watched the players I I didn't see kind of significantly more nerves in them than I ordinarily would. And so I think it raises an interesting question of like, how much does our own anxiety during the course of the game inform how we interpret what the players are doing? I, I think
3: there's something to that, to be honest, because, you know, there are, there are things that you bring to your own assessment of a game, um, when you're watching and you're feeling uh, at the height of the anxiety that you can possibly have, you know, at two one in the second half, and it wasn't good. You know, yeah. we we were we were struggling a bit in that second half, and uh, I, I understand how that then makes you think a certain way about the way that the players behave or the way that they're playing or the way they're behaving on the pitch, which probably isn't accurate, but you're trying to, I don't know, connect with them, or you feel like maybe it's transmitting from them to you. Like, is there a reason why they can't get on top of the game or, or be more in control? Well, it's because they're nervous or they're, they're you know, they're yeah, trying they're, to deal so with... so they
1: must be. And also yeah. maybe there is a kind of symbioticism there. You know, if a crowd is nervous, that must transmit mm. to an extent in turn to the players. But I just thought it was interesting. I, I, that was sort of my big take out that although i thought there, i mean there obviously were errors this was far from a a flawless performance but um you know i was
3: i was reminded of what you said or wrote the other day whether it was a tweet or whether we talked about it on the podcast maybe both where you mentioned the margins of games or you know that like the southampton game for example is a is a really good um one to 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 talk about in the light of this i don't want to go over the game again but It felt really terrible, but I don't think the performance was as bad or anywhere near as bad as the result. And like, it's difficult sometimes to separate the two things where you go, well, it was a really bad result against a team we should beat, therefore we were shit. You know, and I think there were things, obviously, that we could have done better on the day. But I, I don't necessarily think the performance was, uh, you know, as bad as as some people were saying. And this particular performance against Manchester United, where, as Mikel Arteta said himself, there were moments where a bit of luck went our way. For sure. You know, and that completely changes how you view the performance in and of itself, where I think you could probably say there were aspects of the United performance that were much worse than the Southampton one. But because those things went our way, we got a couple of breaks along the way, and then we scored a goal to make it 3-1. You know, it feels, and of course you're beating Manchester United, you know, it it feels maybe not, not as bad as that, um, which I think is you know, maybe a little bit too deep on this. And I think we should be embracing the, the, the fun aspects of this game and, and everything else. But it is, yeah. it is. It, it, I was m- reminded of that a- after this game where I thought, ooh, you know, there were there were a couple of things that if it had gone to 2-2, for example, on the penalty, you're going, ooh, like the momentum would not have been with us in any way at all.
1: Um No, and, but- and I think when we step back from like at the end of the season or whenever it comes and we look at this seemingly insane run of losing three games and then winning two big ones. um, I think when we look at kind of everything that's underlying in terms of the performance, actually like the kind of deviation on the graph won't look that great, Mm. but in terms of the emotion and the feeling, the deviation couldn't be greater and that's you know as fans that's what we're dealing with, really for sure
3: for sure and like when you beat chelsea and manchester united in one week you score four against chelsea you score three against manchester united after three games in which you've scored one goal and you're going where is our next goal coming from and then you score seven against united and chelsea you kind of have to step back a bit and remember that football is just a bit mental sometimes yeah. and you're not as in, in control element at I, times and- yeah Isn't that what Arteta said um, about the Xhaka goal? He's going, like, there are things that we do, but, like, I can't control that. I can't control, like, Xhaka whacking
1: one in from 30 yards. No, and and I think, um, yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And it raises an interesting question, really, of kind of, you know, obviously we'd all prefer more points on the table, but let's say we'd taken – six points or maybe even nine points from those three seemingly winnable games but then lost these two games back to back. Mm. You know, the mood would be so drastically different. It's kind of uh mm. yeah it's it's a crazy it's a crazy game that we're all yeah. uh you know married to forever.
3: Yeah, it's one of those where you think like, would we have won these two games if we'd taken six or seven or nine points yeah. from the previous three? And you can't conclusively say one way or the other, but Sometimes you go through a little bit of a bad period and it, it redoubles your motivation. It redoubles your your determination to win a game, or just sometimes things go your way yeah,
0: in ways the that they
3: didn't, like uh, the Eddie and Kedia goal against Chelsea, Fernandez missing the penalty, uh, you know having a goal ruled out by VAR, but then getting a penalty, which seems like an implausible thing for VAR to do to Arsenal, because most of the time this season, it feels like it has taken things away from us without ever really giving us anything. And this Mm -hmm. time we, we got given things. So, you know, those are things that like these two games have been pretty chaotic. I think that's the word that has been doing the rounds. And, as much as you prepare and organize and set your team up and try and do things in a certain way, there are parts of football, parts of the game, parts of sport, which are just like completely and utterly random. You know, the the equivalent of, I don't know, walking down a street and if you're two seconds later, the piano that's dropped from the top of the building smashes you and like flattens you. You know what I mean? You're just sort of, it's in the lap of the gods. and And thankfully the piano fell on Manchester United and fell on Bruno <laughs> Fernandes. And I'm is. sure we'll we'll talk about all that. So um, where to start? I mean, the team selection, there was a change from uh, the team that played against Chelsea. Um, Cedric came back in. We went back to a back four from the start. Um, Eddie Nketiah kept his place up front, but pretty much everything as expected. W- were there any surprises in the lineup for you? or
1: Uh, I I suppose only that I thought there was a chance that he'd stick with holding and and keep that shape and that system. But I guess he wanted to have the opportunity to bring Rob holding on and completely end the game at that point in time. So Mm. he kept that in his his back pocket, you know. Um, But I think, you know, he he went back to the back four, uh, which, you know, made a certain degree of sense. I, I think that part, what played into kind of the chaotic nature of this game and the Chelsea game to an extent, I think there are two things. One is that our defensive unit, I think, is not, <laughs> you know, in the form that it was in the first half of the season. Mm-hmm. And I think the second part of that is that, in, in the case of both Manchester United and Chelsea, there is, at the present time, a certain degree of defensive vulnerability. And I think we, at times in the match, were quite aggressive in kind of looking to pursue and punish that. And but what remains the case is that both teams have, very talented attacking players. And that puts a certain amount of stress into the game. I mean, yeah, it was so frantic. It was one of those games where they didn't even manage to show replays of like every big chance because <laughs> another one would come along. You yeah, know?
3: something else would happen. Something else yeah. would happen. Yeah, I mean, look, you look at the defending for the first Manchester United goal. And if that had been at our end, if that had been with certain defenders from our not-too-distant past... You know, there will be oh. people out with the the pitchforks and all the rest of it for those guys. And and yeah, I mean, it's very funny when the opposition do it. Um, but a great way to start the game, and, and we've spoken about the first goal and how important it is to Arsenal. So if there was an omen about this particular game, getting that goal early on and Nuno Tavares... I mean, we'll, we'll talk about him, I'm sure, and we'll talk about him maybe well, we, in a bit here we get
1: his own section of the podcast, I <laughs> should think. Um, um, well, but yeah, it was the perfect start. And to be fair, the start generally was pretty good. The first few minutes, you know, we had that kind of intensity, and we got our reward. And, and getting a goal at that time is kind of a break in itself because it it really does, you know, set the course for the game. Um, and and I guess credit to Nuno because. Uh, I mean, he really followed that ball up. He finishes, like, you know, the the position that he puts it in the net. He's right by the goal. I mean, I can't think of too many left backs who would end up there on that move. So, fair play. The knee slide needs some work, though. Definitely does. Definitely does. Um, The early goal
3: can often settle aside down, Mm -hmm. or it can spark the opposition into some kind of a response. And I think... You know, in the in the golden glow of the win, it's easy to for, uh, it's easy to forget that United did have some big chances. You know, um, Ilanga got
1: in behind straight um, straight away almost wasn't Pretty much straight side. away.
3: I think McTominay had a header. Yeah. Then there was the Ramsdale mistake where he played the pass um, into midfield. Big chance Boom, for Bruno Fernandes, yeah. yeah. Um, and actually, a really, really good tackle from Gabriel to send it out uh, for a corner. Um, mm-hmm. What else was there? There was another one a little while later where the ball went across our box. I think it was Alanga uh, it, again. It was the
1: 14 minutes in, I've got in my notes here, Tavares and Alanga had that kind of coming together in mm. the box. Um, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah. So, yeah, there were a few 22 minutes was Cedric's uh, centipede act crawling along the penalty box. <laughs> what did you make of that? Oh, I think that's a penalty. <laughs>
3: <laughs> what do you I, think? I, th- I mean, you know my rule of thumb on this is like, if it happens up the other end, do I want a penalty f- for us? And I'd be fuming if that wasn't given. I thought the... I thought the rule that they sort of uh, – they had Peter Walton out straight away, of course, on, on BT Sports saying, eh? well, the rules state that if a player is trying to stay upright or is falling down and the ball hits his hand, then it can't possibly be a penalty. And I'm thinking, well, all you have to do is, like, crawl along like some kind of Wolfman, um, Yeah. And, and, oh, look, it hit my hand. But because I'm this way, it seems like a fairly big um, – what's the word – uh, uh, what is it? When something loophole. loophole? That's exactly it. It feels like a big loophole to me, and I think we got a bit lucky there. To be honest, that could easily have been uh, a penalty. I, I at first viewing, I thought, no, that's accidental because he was genuinely trying to to keep himself upright. But I also think like there was just an element of like putting his hand there and scooping it back out of the way. Um. Another day, I think that gets given as a penalty. And I think if it gets given as a penalty, I don't know that VAR overturns it, you
1: know, that way. No, 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 no. What about the Nuno one? Did you think that was? No, no. I don't think that was either. Absolutely no. not. No way. I mean, Rio
3: Ferdinand was on um, BT afterwards going, what's he doing with his arm all around his shoulder there? And it's like, ah, come on, man. Come on. That's not that's not anywhere close to, to being a penalty. But there was also uh, the shot from... Uh, is it Dallow? Yeah. That was a good shot. Yeah. Uh, off the bar. Um, Saka had to do some defending. But at the other end, you know, we had some some really nice moments too after they had that. There was the Enkedia chance, which was a brilliant little flick from Martin Odegaard.
1: And- Probably should have done better, really. He just went for power in, in that instance. But, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. A bit more accuracy, I think he puts that away. Um, so, yeah, there were moments like that. And... Then, of course, the sort of weirdness of the Nketiah goal penalty Mm. incident.
3: Yeah, I mean, again, we had the ball in the back of the net. 2-0, but not 2-0. But, I mean, my first thought when I looked at it was like, if that's not a goal, it has to be a penalty because the guy just came in and, and took Saka out, basically. There was no attempt to play the ball or anything like that. So... To me, it was a pretty obvious penalty. Like, if that had been Saka about to shoot and the defender had done that to him, it's a penalty. Mm. So I don't really see why there's any... Like, United can be aggrieved if they didn't get a penalty up the other end, but I don't know how they can be unhappy about that being a penalty because he just fucking clattered him.
1: I have to be honest and say that what I don't understand is kind of... To what extent is VAR allowed to do that? Like, how far back... Are they looking, you know, in the first instance they're looking at the offside, but then they pivot to say, oh, mm. we think it's a foul. But like, I, I don't know what their sort of jurisdiction is outside of the incident they're supposed to be analysing.
3: Um, um, won't there be a thread from that guy? There'll be like a 27,000 sure tweet thread Dale by Dale Johnson. That's the guy. He'll explain it all. Um,
1: but know. listen, I was delighted. I mean, mm. you know, it's kind of a, a bit of a roller coaster to think you've scored, have that taken away then be granted a penalty. Um, But I I think I agree with you. It was the right outcome there.
3: Uh, Yeah, I mean, he was just offside, but there was a foul beforehand. So why not take it back and give the penalty, which Saka stepped up and put away very nicely. I mean, that's two from two now in a week for
1: Bakayo Saka. Um, Do you remember us having a chat? I I think it was on here saying... You know, it, it, I think somebody had missed a penalty, or Bamiyang or someone you know, maybe Lacazette. I and mean, I think we said, if you're Saka or Smith Rowe, yeah, 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 start practicing penalties because there's goals there, mm. you know, for you. And Saka's it was supposed to be Martinelli at Chelsea, but he, he wanted it, and he seems to be seizing that responsibility. Yeah. Can you and... hang on one
3: sec? Because I think there's someone at my door. Oh yeah, no worries. Yeah, one sec. It was the postman. It was the postman. It was the Um, postman. But yeah, you were saying Martinelli at Chelsea and Saka took it and he took this
1: one, so... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if if it adds five goals to his season, being a penalty taker, then... uh, He'll be delighted with that. And he took this one really well. He did. And look,
3: our two, what you would consider maybe our two main penalty takers, senior penalty takers, weren't on the pitch. Correct. Uh, Lacazette and and Nicolas Pepe, who scored uh, a good few penalties and is is very good from the penalty spot. But it is good for Saka to to add that string to his
1: bow, if you like. I think we did have a question about it. Um... I think it's just a case of taking responsibility as well. Someone so young saying... No, I want it. I want to be the guy. You know, I, I want to seize this moment. I think that's a sign of him maturing, really, and, you know, becoming the man in this team.
3: Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I think that's fair enough. And lucky he is only 20. Um, yeah, we had, a, we had a question from Ian Jenkinson on the Discord. He said, is there any reason to take Saka off penalties now? I can't see one. I'm. Uh, I'm not sure if he only took those two because he won them both. But the two penalties were expertly and confidently dispatched. So leave him on penalties, I say. And I think, look, in the absence of in the absence of more senior uh, players to take them, then uh, it's good that somebody else is emerging as a a reliable penalty taker. I know two penalties isn't exactly a um, a big sample size or anything, but both of them were. Pretty much unsavable, I guess. Well, not unsavable, but like he just put them away very confidently.
1: Yeah, he put them away confidently. I think the second the Man United one was a better penalty than the Chelsea one. But I, I still would say if if Lacazette and Pepe are on the pitch, I mean, arguably they're not in our sort of best 11 right now. Yeah. But if they are, I would tend to go with their experience because both of them have really outstanding penalty mm. records. Uh, but, but they're not. Uh, from the start and Saka is and yeah he seems like the guy best place to take them and and, uh, very happy to see it I think every penalty scores will you know do more to kind of diminish the Mm. the memory of the Euros final and I think the way in which he's kind of moved on from that generally this season is so commendable Mm. and fantastic Slight
3: um, worry in the last two games, if you want to call it that, uh, I think mo- uh, people m- might well is scoring and then conceding quite quickly afterwards. True, which yeah. is what happened against Chelsea, a couple of times. Um, happened against United as well. So you go two 0 up, and you're thinking, okay, well this is good. Let's just sort of get to half time. Get to half time, or or at least you know go five minutes frustrate them, but they got a goal pretty quickly afterwards. I'm not sure anybody involved in that goal from an Arsenal perspective really covered themselves in, in any glory. The two defenders and Aaron Ramsdale, I don't know if he distracted them or whatever, but he came and realized he wasn't going to get there. And I don't know what looks worse for a goalkeeper coming and like sticking with it and getting nowhere near it or coming and changing your mind and still not getting anywhere near it. I don't know which one is worse from a goalkeeping perspective.
1: I didn't think he really came to be fair. He stepped he's, forward and yeah, then had to step back, you know. I mean, he's never getting there, I would say. Um so if he thought he was, that was definitely a misjudgment. <clears> like it's curling away from him. I don't I think it's a communication issue really. I mean I don't really know what happens with Gabriel. He he sort of maybe it is the goalkeeper who puts him off, but he definitely lets Ronaldo move off his shoulder. Mm. The only mitigation I'd offer him is that I do think you know we always look at it from an Arsenal perspective, and I agree with you. Like it defensively, it was really sloppy, but Ronaldo is maybe the best penalty box forward in the world, and I do think his movement and his finish. Like if you're a United fan, you're looking like you're saying. Well, he's completely done this second the half. There, he's bewitched him, and he's got in front of him, and he's finished it brilliantly. First I get, time. Yeah, I mean, I
3: guess so. But when you've got two defenders, I mean,
1: of course, of course, I, I, I think it is a mistake. But I also think
2: <clears>
1: I just watched it and thought, I think Ronaldo's just done him there. But yeah, I don't know. It's not. It's not. It's, it was a. Re- it was a bad goal to concede. Don't get me wrong.
3: Yeah, I'm just watching it again here, and I think like Nuno's got fernandez to think about but well yeah i i think they can show that to gabrielle and nuno uh, on the training ground when they do their video sessions afterwards and and make it a very um quick but important learning moment for both of them um you know dealing with forwards and dealing with movement in places like that because you don't even have to make the tackle you just have to be physically just stay with him yeah, yeah. exactly yeah, okay. exactly shoulder to shoulder um so was there any more first half drama that we can
1: think of? Um, mm, there was, I don't know that there I think there were a couple of efforts from outside the box, maybe. Um, oh, there Elneny was, yeah. And Odegaard had a decent shot as well.
3: And then there was the late panic in the first half where, um, you know, Ramsdale made a save and Cedric panicked and whacked it out for a corner and and everything else
1: so you see that's a great example of where i think like i'm not sure that was panic i I think it was i I think it was really having watched it back because i don't think it's what he means to do
3: i know but that's what i mean i think the execution of what he's trying to do is informed by a slight sense of oh we're nearly half time i just got to get rid of this and actually, whether he didn't get a shout or whatever from the goalkeeper, I don't know. But I just think when you're an experienced player like he is, those are moments where, you you know, you need to be on top of them.
1: Um, yeah, I, think I mean, it was basically, just you can't, we, we don't know why a guy miscues a, a pass or, a, you know, striking the ball. But mm. Yeah, I, 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 this is sort of, I, I won't be deferring from this. I do think that, like, we weren't as panicked as...
3: I'm not trying to change your mind. I just think that one particular moment was a player who who just in, whether it was nerves or whatever, I just think he did panic very slightly in that moment, but it's not a big deal. Um, I don't even think we need to dwell on it because we should talk about the second half. And the second half, it didn't really start particularly well um, for us because uh, they got the penalty pretty pretty early on.
1: Um yeah, kind of a mad penalty. There was like, like
3: there was the Nuno chance. Remember where he cut inside and and right whacked a right shot yeah. over with his with his right foot, and then pretty much two or three minutes later, they had the penalty. Um, I mean, I don't know how the ref saw that handball. It was very subtle.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know what's going on there. I I, I I think that probably for a guy who's very tall, the sort of aerial side of the game is not Nuno's strength. I think and i don't know if that's why he ends up going up with the hand as well i think he's but.
3: trying to climb over the top of whoever's there isn't he yeah is it that just to sort of give himself some leverage but when you put your arms up in the in the box like that uh, and it goes wrong you're you're done for you know um mm.
1: yeah i mean there's no arguments there's no arguments
3: no 100 percent penalty
1: um we had some stuff go for us, but you know, there's a lot. There's a limit to what yeah. referees and VAR can do in your favour.
3: Yeah, that's exactly it. So, the penalty is taken by Bruno Fernandes.
1: That in itself, mental, I would say. You got Ronaldo on the pitch. I
3: I don't disagree. I don't disagree. Um, I think there was some talk afterwards, or I read afterwards, that he didn't feel like he was in the right frame of mind to take it, which. Look, he's had a lot going on uh, on a personal level, um, which I, I understand is very difficult. But I think if you're um, if you're ready to play a game of football and you're a player like Ronaldo, I don't understand why you wouldn't be ready to
1: take a penalty. Well, he looked in a pretty good frame of mind to me when he put the first one away oh, and yeah. the second one when he was offside. Yeah. Um, but listen, I mean, I guess a penalty is a different kind of pressure and a different kind of situation. But I, uh, if you're asking me who I'd rather face, bear in mind Ronaldo put one past Ramsdale – at Old Trafford. Yeah. I mean, I'd choose Bruno every time in that situation.
3: Uh, I guess me too. He really does have a, ver- a very, very, very annoying face. And I wasn't looking forward to him being happy. I'm no, watch- no one wants that. I'm watching it again here. Look at him. Touch of the Raquel Mace. He's concentrating. Looking at the ball. Little fucking
1: rat. <laughs> and I mean, the funny thing is, I guess he sort of gets it right. Like, he waits. He sees which way the goalkeeper goes. <laughs> he goes the other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just goes too far. Yeah,
3: it's six inches from from being, you know, uh, a goal for Manchester United. And the thing about that run-up for me is that, like, I just think you're a twat. Sure. Uh, if you do that kind of a run-up. And I know I...
1: Jorginho got down as well. Yeah, and it
3: was not a good week for twaddy Penalty run up guys. Um, you know, people will say, Well, if it goes in, he looks good. You still look like a twat when you're doing the run-up, even if you score. Um
1: Yeah. Unless I mean, you're Ainsley by the Niles or something. He though, doesn't then- he
3: doesn't even do that. Ainsley's too cool for school when it comes to penalties. There might be some swagger to his run-up, but it's not a little kind of hoppity skippity.
1: I'm a footballing
3: mountain goat
1: kind of thing going on, you know? Um, it's a massive moment in the game, that, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you know, if if he scores, who knows what happens. It's a massive moment in, in the season, probably.
3: Yeah, um, for sure.
1: For sure. Uh, and uh, a, a vital time in the game as mm. well. What was it, about 55 minutes, something like that?
3: But it didn't, it didn't immediately change the... Um, the complexion I know, I mean, of the no, game were they they the dynamic. Hit the I mean, they, end, didn't they? Yeah, they, they hit the... I mean, it was a good Ramsdale save. I think he had to make a save from Ilanga as well. There was the offside yeah. goal that you you mentioned, which yeah. when, you know, at first viewing, I was like, yeah, he's absolutely well and truly offside. And then they were drawing the
1: lines and I was like, oh. Well, uh-oh. Ralph Ranić said, we saw it and he was onside, which I thought was an interesting uh, sort of claim to make. It is, a, considering they draw the fucking lines on the pitch for everyone to see. Like, Yeah, it's supposedly objective, but no. Ryan Frenick says he was onside. I mean, it was very close. It was very close. In fairness, Nketiah was close as well, but mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, it wasn't like they missed the penalty and everything swung in our favour. No.
3: No. And there were moments, I think, you know, Nuno was having a a, a difficult time. Um, after yeah. that, he'd lost the ball. I mean, we did make a change um I think around the hour mark. Smith Row, Martinelli on and, and that went some way to helping Nuno, but I don't know how well you could hear it um when you were watching in the pub, but but there was a moment when Nuno either got caught on the ball or or misplaced a pass or whatever it was, and you could hear. You could absolutely hear people in the crowd uh, shouting, get him off! Get him off! Like there was uh, a yeah. there was a real tension in the crowd. That like he, he's had some moments, um, obviously where where mistakes have been made, which have turned out to be a bit costly. And I thought this was quite interesting because I was, I think I said on the live blog, we might have to take him off, but I'm not quite sure who we would have put on. I suppose the way we'd have dealt with it is put Tommy on, Tommy Asu on, move Cedric to left back perhaps yeah. but but Arteta stuck with it and he did then make another change um Rob Holding um came on now I know we'd gone um 3-1 up at that point but I I suspect that change might have been in the post anyway sure um and he talked Game about over. yeah he, <laughs> he talked about uh you know helping Nuno and and changing the shape in order to to help him and and there was part of me thinking like like, for the sake of the team, he's probably going to have to take Nuno off. But then I was wondering, what happens if you take him off in those circumstances where, like, the not the tide had turned against him, but he was very obviously having a difficult time. And then if you take him off at that moment, how does that damage any restored confidence there might have been? Whether that was a consideration for Arteta or not, I don't quite know. But But he certainly had, like, a 10-minute spell where it was really, really tough for him.
1: Mm, it's interesting I mean the, the occasions when he came off really early uh, I'm thinking of Forest and Palace were both away from home weren't mm. they away from the home fans and and you do wonder yeah like I don't know would he have really considered the reaction of the supporters maybe maybe not um, I guess we got away with it <laughs> you know I mean yeah. I don't really know how to analyse it other than that yeah Um I think that's. He's a, he's a he's a really really curious player. Uh, mm. Have we got questions about Nuno? Or we, should we have a bigger conversation? We about do
3: that, have no? questions, but I think we might leave it till part two, and we'll move yeah. on with with the rest of the game. And look, Granish Xhaka scoring his first goal of the season from outside the box after I think we were looking for a, a handball Saka played the ball off somebody, and he seemed to think it it hit his hand. We've got no idea whether it did or not. Uh, I don't think it would have been a penalty based on the kind of position that the player was in. It wasn't like he stuck his arm out or anything like that. It was one of those where maybe the ball hit his hand as it was by his side. But I thought another very, very amusing aspect to this win was Fernandez missing the penalty and then losing the ball for Elneny to give it to Xhaka, for Xhaka to to whack it in. I'm not saying it was like a Bruno Fernandes pre-assist or anything like that, but there are times when a player you don't like gets involved in moments which are beneficial to your side, and it's really... Like, it added to my enjoyment of Xhaka's goal, which I think on a... You know, from 1 to 100, that's like 98 in terms of enjoyment. Smacking one in from 30 yards against Manchester United... But the other two, to give it the 100 out of 100, came from Bruno Fernandes losing the ball.
1: Absolutely, yeah. There's a great shot, I think, um, from sort of behind the goal where you sort of see Bruno's face uh, as El Elneny kind of nicks it off him and Shaka <laughs> yeah. launches it into the net. And I guess the time mm. it came and the circumstances it came, you know, Arsenal... I think on the ropes would be a bit strong, but certainly vulnerable. The lead was vulnerable at that time. Living we on the looking, edge, as you say, yeah. Yeah, we were looking for something to kind of put us clear, put us out of trouble and Shaka a bolt from the blue, you know, 30 yards out. Talk about getting the breaks and a bit of fortune here and there. I do think where Eddie Ketcher is standing is quite helpful. Shavatagea really has to look round him, he, and he ends up sort of stepping the wrong way, doesn't he? Just before, just as Shaka hits it, I'm not sure he gets there anyway. It's a great strike.
3: He has to look around his own player too, though. I think it's Lindelof, yeah. so he has to look around his own player. Um, I think that counted in our favour in the uh, yeah in the VAR. It would have been a very, very almost unprecedented disallowment. Is that a word? A disallowment? Um, of the goal for Eddie and Kedia being offside there based on how far Xhaka was out and, and Kedia was like not jumping around or trying to get in the way of the of the uh of the goalkeeper. Yeah, or I mean anything if someone like has a
1: shot from thirty yards out, the chances are there's mm. gonna be people in the way. Um Yeah. So yeah. I'm just watching we'll, it again. Here we'll is. we'll um we'll, we'll take it though, and and I think, you know, it was a great hit and a great moment for a player who made a massive contribution over the course of the week.
3: I completely agree with you. I think he's had a very, very good week. Uh, I thought he was great against Chelsea. I thought he was really good against United as well. Um, On the ball, I think his his security and calmness was really important. And we talked about the penalty miss not being the thing that changed the dynamic of the game. I think this goal absolutely did because I don't think United were anyway any way threatening uh, or not to the same level anyway. I mean you're always a little bit worried when you consider the quality that they have, but but this absolutely changed. And I know it's quite reductive to say the goal that made it 3-1 had a big impact on the game, but it it sort of took the wind out of United's sails.
1: Yeah, it killed the game really. It, it it really sort of um set the seal on it. And then of course about about 60 seconds later Arteta did bring rum holding on. So that yeah. that was the, the win locked in, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, yeah, it was great. And like brilliant scenes with the players celebrations after that goal, they all knew Mm. what that goal meant in the context of the game and the context of the season.
3: Yeah. When the opposition miss a penalty, um, you know, and, and eschew the opportunity to really build on the momentum that they had built, you know, you have to, um, you have to say look some days that you get the rub of the green a little bit and i don't i don't mean to say that our win was simply down to luck or anything like that but there are days where it just goes against you and the result isn't as good or the you know and there are days where it goes for you and and this was one of those days in in key aspects of the game where you know i think we've worked hard and deserved some luck because we've had a lot of things go against us This season, You know, a lot of things go against us and and moments where it could have been one way or the other way. It seems to have gone the negative way from an Arsenal perspective. And you can Mm. think of, uh, you know, a number of examples of that in terms of refereeing decisions or or just moments in games. And you earn your luck. Sometimes you earn your luck. And uh, I think we got that against Manchester United. And, you know, that kind of energy... Uh, and what it means for the way this season might end up is is really interesting to consider.
1: Yeah, and it was, I guess, um, compounded, is that the right word, by, you know, Spurs then had to go to Brentford. And yeah. That always looked like a tricky fixture, I think, one of their tougher remaining games. And fortunately, they dropped a couple of points. Might have been worse, but I think at this stage of the season, you know, that gap between three points and one point is... Feels big, and, and that was a, a real boost to, mm. for us to get that win and then to drop a couple of points. Because it's not long ago, you know, the discourse among Arsenal fans was, well, I'm looking at Spurs' games and I can't see them dropping points anywhere, you know. And they yeah, dropped yeah, yeah. five from the last six against Brighton and Brentford. So, yeah, that made for a very good Saturday.
3: Well, yeah, exactly. You know, and was it last week we were sitting there after United or after Spurs lost and saying, we've got to take advantage of this and we didn't? And this week, yeah. you know, it's not like everything has been put right. But, you know, the mood yeah, can I'm change.
1: And still, yeah, exactly.
3: Yeah. I think there's there's still some drama to happen. No two ways about it. But, um, you know, the mood can change pretty, pretty quickly. And, and you know, to, to beat United, beat Chelsea in one week is, is just fantastic. Can we talk about Fernandez again? I'm sorry to keep bringing him up, but I think he should have been sent off. I think oh, that hundred percent red card. I, I I have to say, fair play to Ian Wright and Alan Shearer on Match of the Day on Saturday night for talking about it and talking about it in, uh, you know, in a serious way, not just sort of glossing over it. Because they showed a replay and they were like, "Look, the ball is gone." I saw this. Ball's gone. Yeah. Look, it's still gone. And like three or four seconds later, he takes a look. He puts his studs on Tavares' his standing leg. I think he's a bit lucky in that it's a bit more top of the foot than shin mm. but it doesn't take away from the fact that that was a deliberate studs up challenge onto an opponent's standing leg and it should be a red card and united can complain about certain decisions that that happened in this game if they want uh, and maybe they might feel hard done by by VAR but they got away with one there absolutely got away with one and that's a nasty nasty t- uh, tackle and not the first time in the last couple of weeks that he's got away with one of those as well
1: True and and I think Mason Mount probably should have been sent off on yeah. Wednesday yeah. Um, so you know while we did get some breaks there were some that went against us and, and they should be without Bruno for the next three games really mm. uh, because it would have been you know a, a straight red so yeah, he absolutely got away with that. And he, he can thank his lucky stars. I'm sure there was some frustration from him in that challenge. You know, he missed the penalty, conceded oh. the ball in the run up to the third goal. I think that probably played into the moment. And I, and I agree with you. If he's even an inch or two higher mm. on the shin, I don't think VAR have any choice. You know, I think it's... Oh, no. it, 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 there's absolute clarity there. And I think the point of contact shouldn't, but I think it enabled them to kind of obfuscate slightly and say, oh, you know,
3: I, I no think you know, I'm just not. watching it again here. And, and Nuno just starts to get his standing leg off the ground yeah. as contact is made. If he doesn't, I mean, that's a leg breaker. It's yeah. an actual leg breaker. And, and, you know, I I don't understand why VAR has looked at that and not given a red card i just do not understand it um it, yeah it's it's a problem it's it's a it's an ongoing problem with english football that tackles like that even if they don't necessarily do the damage that they could do it's the intent and you can look at that tackle and see genuine intent he's got no no uh um he's not trying for the ball because the ball's not there it's designed no. to hurt the opponent and uh, you know I think Nuno got quite lucky and I'm glad um, you know glad that he did obviously because you know you don't want to see a, a player get badly injured but that was close and Fernandez is a little prick um, so I'm delighted that uh, you know things went wrong for him uh, in this game and I hope they go wrong for him for the rest of his life Fingers crossed that'd be yeah, nice Yeah that'd one. be nice I mean I'm not one to hold a grudge but I hope the rest of his life Hopefully of his, really the rest is, of his is, days is, are doomed Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, is there anything else we need to talk about from, from this? I mean, I suppose the other thing we could talk about is, you know, teams around us, West Ham.
1: Yeah. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted in that game, Chelsea-West Ham. I think a draw probably I wanted, you know, because I was sort mm. of looking at the table and thinking, well, we beat Chelsea. We closed the gap on them. They've not mm. been in great form. They go to Old Trafford in midweek. Can we drag them into this? Um mm. And when they missed that late penalty, I thought, oh, this is working mm-hmm. out very nicely. But then Pulisic stuck one away at yeah. so time, essentially. Yeah. Maybe that's a good thing. Like, I, I do wonder if the advantage of that is it kind of really focuses West Ham's season to a certain extent on it's all about the Europa League for them. They've got the first leg of their semi-final On Thursday. On Thursday, second leg of the week after. So we're kind of sandwiched in the middle there. Um, and they're very short of centre-halves. Craig Dawson was sent off. He was their only fit centre-half, really, at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess it's a decent outcome enough for Arsenal, do you think?
3: I, I think so. I think so. I mean, uh, West Ham's focus on the Europa League is probably a good thing. I just forgot about. I'm looking at McTominay on the ground here, writhing around. And then he gets booked. And uh, all I can think of, it's like studs on the top of the foot. And all I can think of is, fuck him. <laughs> I'm happy that his
1: foot is sore. Um, hard, notorious hard man, Mohamed Nenny yeah. dishing out punishment.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, going back to West Ham, I think their focus on the Europa League is probably a good thing for us yeah. because as much as they will say one game at a time, we'll play our first leg, we'll focus on Arsenal and then we'll focus on our second leg. I mean, it may be a case that what happens in the first leg has a really big impact on the way that they approach our game.
1: You we know, want a nice tight first leg, don't we?
3: Yeah, yeah. We want them to have to battle to overcome something in the second leg, so maybe they don't risk some of their key players or whatever it might be. Um, mm. I, They're I don't at know. At home
1: in the first leg, which is a bit of a shame. They don't yeah, have to travel and stuff.
3: Nice away know. win for Eintracht Frankfurt will then have a have a big impact. On
1: I'm Eintracht Frankfurt,
3: yeah. Um, mm. Okay, well, look, it, it's a great win, and it's a it's a, a hugely enjoyable win, and. Three big points. Table it- looks
1: a bit healthier now.
3: It does. I didn't look at the table um, the last couple of weeks because I was like, "Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to." And maybe it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, but it looks quite nice now. Um, you know, it's in our hands. That's the thing about this. It is. It's in our hands. Mm-hmm. Five and, games.
1: If we win them, we've done it.
2: Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> well, that's, well, that's all it, it. is. <laughs> that's all. You've just got to win five games in a row to make it seven wins in a row, which is not I something think I think we've ever done. The kind of appreciating
1: thing is that the position that we're in now. I think it's increasingly clear that this derby is going to be pretty decisive and influential.
3: Yeah, but when we win the derby, it means that that that'll all be done and dusted. Oh, that's a good point. I yeah. hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah, exactly. Uh,
1: you, know, you need. No, I do think the uh, next three are the next three games. I think by the end of the derby, we'll pretty much know who's going to do it. Because mm. uh, I'm just looking, what are our next three? Our next three are West Ham away, which is, you know, another test. Um, Leeds at home and then Spurs away. And in that period of time, mm. uh, Tottenham they host Leicester, then they go away to Liverpool, and then it's the derby, and uh, and their last two games are Burnley and Norwich. Like, I think they'll win their last two. Mm. I think the der- I just think the derby is kind of the cup final. It's uh, it's massive. Whew, yeah, um, Not to get everyone all anxious again. No, 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 no,
3: no, no. I'm, I'm completely calm now, and I don't know why my pants are sweating all of a sudden. I yeah. don't know why that would be. All right, look, we'll take a little break here, and we will come back with your questions and more in part two right after this.
0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host.
3: Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog also on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. Final reminder for this this month, April, we are donating every single penny that we make from Patreon to UNICEF to help kids around the world who are uh, impacted by wars and conflict, uh, we can get them education and healthcare and medicine and all kinds of things. So if you want to sign up at patreon.com forward slash arsblog, you get access to all the stuff that we do on Patreon, all the archives, and you're going to help a really good cause. So patreon.com forward slash blog, uh, to do that right. Let me ask you this, because I want to start on this. And we did talk about him a bit um, uh, in the first half of the show. Um, Desi underscore Ars on the Discord says, Do you think we should treat Nuno like a young player, like Balagoon? He clearly has loads of talent and physical ability, but we don't need to decide if he's a a successful signing right now. Maybe he needs a loan year before we can make a decision on his future. And Lil Moosey13 on the Discord. Goodly morning, Gunners. Uh, Nuno Tavares has been a real tragic comedy since the international break. Involved in the build-up to two Chelsea goals, scoring one against Man United, uh, but also to blame for bad defending on multiple goals conceded. He's been bang in the middle of so many de- de- decisive moments recently. Has his stock gone up or down, in your opinion?
1: Well, I'll start by saying I'm really pleased for him that he got the goal against United, and I'm glad that that moment of him being subbed off against Palace wasn't the end for him. I Mm. never felt it had to be. And there's such a tendency to kind of, you know, blow things up and say, well, that's it, he's finished. Um, And I'm glad that hasn't been the end of the story. Mm. I do think... I mean, there are parallels with Emmanuel Abue in terms of he's a fullback who doesn't really play like a fullback at all, and it's even down to the fact that Abue had those moments where he had to be pulled off in games, or one game in particular where kind of everything mm. was going wrong for him. It just seems sort of slightly odd comparison. I think uh, I am worried about the defensive side of his game, and and the thing is, with some attacking fullbacks, it's like well they don't really defend. Like, um, you know, they're just up the pitch all the time and they don't really get back. And there's an element of risk with that. It's not really the case with Nuno. The trouble with Nuno is when he is in a defensive position, Mm. he makes errors in pretty much every game. And I do fear that it's going to cost us. Like... You mentioned the possibility of Tommy Asu coming back and it was great to see him come on against United, another big moment we didn't mention. If he does, I I would be sorely tempted by switching Mm. Cedric, who I know wasn't brilliant himself against United to the left-hand side. I just think the consistency, for me, is a bit more valuable. But I think how you feel about Nuno might sort of tell you a bit about what kind of football fan you are. Like if you're someone who values attacking play and excitement, then you're going to probably love him. And if you're someone who's a bit more conservative and kind of safety-minded, then he might fill you with mm. worry. And I'm, I think I'm a little bit more in the latter camp.
3: What yeah, th- I, I said this to you last week. I think I can understand why Mikel Arteta has reservations about him. I think d- Defensively, it's... It's not there. And maybe it is too early to be definitive one way or the other about a, a 21, 22-year-old player. I think so. Maybe it is. you know. But, but like you, he does worry me. What I think is interesting, though, is that Mikel Arteta has, in the last few games, at least said, um, this might be imperfect, but maybe it's better to be imperfect there than make other areas of the pitch imperfect when we can be strong there.
1: Well, I mean, look at what we're saying about Granit Xhaka against Chelsea and Mm. United. I mean, imagine if no one would want him at left back over Nuno at this point, you know? Because we would just wouldn't want to take him out of the centre of the pitch. That's it.
3: That's it. Um, I mean, he seems like a nice lad and he obviously enjoyed his goal. I think there's just... Like the comp- I said on the live blog, he's like a buoy on PCP at times because he's genuinely a mad player. He is. Like the <clears throat> the moment where I I I uh, referenced in the first half where I think he lost the ball or he got caught on the ball as he's driving forward. You can hear they're like, get him off, get him off. And then a couple of minutes later, he's winning a tackle or he's intercepting and driving the ball forward. And he was involved in uh, some good moments from an offensive point of view. Like he's in the box. I think there was one moment in the, in the second half where he ended up in the box in like the center forward position. I'm thinking, what the, why, how are you there? What is, what is, what are you? Like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the pro
1: Nuno argument. The pro Nuno Mm. argument is okay. He worries us but to what extent does he worry the opposition? Mm, Maybe, yeah. You know, like I said, when he scores that goal, he's inside the six-yard box. Who's planning on that? Who's tracking a Mm. left-back that far? I I think that as more options come back into the squad, maybe there'll be a bit more flexibility and approach. Like Maybe there are games where we're prepared to sacrifice the defensive solidity for what he gives us going forward, and maybe there are games where we're not prepared to take that risk. Mm. Um, And maybe it will be a kind of horses-for-courses situation. He he is a... you know, it's like, it's Russian roulette, isn't it? I mean, honestly... He's a very non-Arteta player. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, and there's good and bad to that. Um, Yeah, I mean, I don't
3: think there's anything wrong with having players... And in fact, it's quite welcome uh, to have a, a sort of unpredictability about players. But I mean, I always think of the the story that Thierry Henry told when he was at Barcelona with Pep Guardiola, and we know that there are similarities between Pep and Mikel Arteta in terms of how they want their players to play the game. You know, within a certain structure, obviously improvisation and things like that are are, are important, but. Henri, I don't know, he came to the wrong side of the pitch or something. And basically Guardiola took him off at half time because that's not what he was told to do. But I don't know what you tell Nuno. What do you tell? I mean, do you want him to get forward because he can contribute? But also, like, if you know he's a dodgy defender and he defends dodgily, he's not really doing anything that you didn't expect either, if that makes sense.
1: No, I mean, Alanga gave him a really hard time in this game. You know, in the first half, the one where Elanga goes through and there's a bit of a collision and United won a penalty. Mm. The mistake isn't what happens in the box. The mistake is up near the halfway line when, you know, the ball's set back to Ronaldo and Tavares is completely on his heels and Alanga gets away from him. Mm. And defensively, he, I don't mean this word in a in a cruel way at all but he is a a little bit of a liability um but in in fairness to the manager he has slightly restructured the team to at least attempt to offset that i think uh with what he's doing in midfield now and uh, um I suppose that the calculation is kind of like risk management. Can we get away with it? We got away with it on Saturday. Will that be the case between now and the end of the season?
2: Mm.
3: I don't know. I mean, a part of it might be as well, like how, how quick is Nuno to assess his own performances and the things that he's done wrong? Mm. Like some players are quick learners. Like you can be imperfect, but you can learn quickly.
1: But you have to have the capacity.
3: Well, that's that's my point. Is like how how good is he at that? How good will he be at that? Is that yeah. something he? I'm not saying he's incapable of it, but you know,
1: yeah. If he was 28, Aboué never it, was. We'd be saying, you know what
3: I mean? Aboué never was. capable, years,
1: yeah. But he's still relatively inexperienced, mm. and he can still improve. And. We we are also in a situation where we don't have our first choice left back. So, you know, it's not like we're doing this voluntarily. It's slightly Mm. forced upon us. Um, I mean, what's our next game? West Ham away. Do you think Nuno will start that game?
3: Probably. Probably. I mean, it's... I mean, as you said, the only other option really is... Tommy Asu on the right and Cedric on the left and I don't think Cedric on the left has been particularly great either.
1: Um, he certainly doesn't offer much attacking threat on that side at all.
3: No, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. And like a couple of the goals that we scored against Chelsea, Nuno's involvement was, was important.
1: Yeah, I just thought that was a bit overlooked. I mean... <laughs> on Inketia's on first, it's Nuno who boots the ball 60 yards up the pitch. So I'm sure we claim hey, it's, a, it's a perfect
3: twist. through ball over the top of the defence. Yeah, and expertly.
1: But the second goal, you know, he's in an advanced position, plays the ball, finds Inketia in the box, passes with lots of pace on it for him to be able to turn. Yeah, yeah. Inketia's um, second, this is. And, you know, he scored against United. And he had quite a few shots and... Is is a chaos factor?
3: <laughs> I think it was a James who treated that uh, Nuno Tavares takes more shots uh, from open play per ninety minutes than Alexandre Lacazette, which probably says a lot about a nice about Nuno. I
1: mean, I mean, I'm not sure how many of them are good shots. No, don't get me wrong. Very but few of them. You know when Arsenal used to bring on Sonogo like in the final twenty minutes of a game just for like pure chaos factor. Yeah. I honestly I don't wish to downplay what Nuno's doing, but I do think he gives opposition problems. You know, he's a number, he's a physical presence. It's just at the other end where you're like oh, Any d- literally anything could happen. Anything could happen. And we he might need bailing out, be it by mm. a centre half or a goalkeeper or a referee um or a striker who misses a penalty. A forward who misses a penalty. <laughs> I just think that's kind of a risk that at the moment we're accepting. And and I've, yeah, maybe, I mean, I said I would go Cedric at left-back. Thinking about it, maybe I wouldn't. Maybe for the balance I would keep Nuno. But I suppose what I'm saying is I won't be surprised if it hurts us at some point, you know? No, and
3: I think we've said before that, managers' selection decisions are not just based on what a player has done in his last game. It's what they do week in, week out on the training ground, how well they apply, uh, they apply themselves, how willing they are to listen and to learn and all those kinds of things. So, like, I think, generally speaking, Mikel Arteta could be considered somewhat risk-averse. I think so. But there are times when, as a manager or or whatever, as a head coach... You've got no real choice like, okay, this is a risk, but the other options are just as risky, and maybe there's a bit more downside with them. Like there's exactly. good and bad, bad about Nuno. Bad, yeah. hasn't he? You know, yeah. with
1: Tierney out and party out and you Yeah, know, I think if 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 party was fit, I think there's a good chance Shaq would be in a left back. But you know, it's those two missing pieces that I think necessitates this scenario. And um yeah, I mean, I guess he's crazy, but he's he's our crazy boy. Mm. I, I, I listen, he's fun. <laughs> well, I mean, it
3: depends on your, your definition of the word fun. You know, when you know after we've the won fact, the game,
1: when, listen, when yeah. you're watching it a day later and you know we've won, oh, it's quite entertaining. I'm sure you guys watching it live were tearing your hair out, you know. Mm.
3: Um, it was worrying. It was genuinely worrying because... You know, you see a player go through a, a difficult period in a game, and they give the ball away a few times, and it's sort of almost become self-defeating or, or self-perpetuating in a way. But uh, yeah. you know, he he got on top of it, and uh, you know, I was sort of pleased. Whatever happens, whatever Michel Arteta does in the next game, whether he picks him or not, I think I think taking him off during that period might have been completely understandable to everyone. Potentially, just as bad as taking him off before halftime against Nottingham Forest, just because of the the mood and the temperature of the game. And I think he's seen out ninety minutes in a game in which he scored. Arsenal have won, and you know the terror, the terror turns to joy. It's like um, sugar turning to alcohol in a way. Um, well, knowing know, footballers as, the-
1: as I do, he won't be thinking about the penalty. He won't be thinking about misplaced passes. You know, Saturday was a positive net for mm. him. He and should maybe think about that's them. the best thing for his confidence.
3: Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so.
1: Um, but it, yeah, it, it, he. I mean, listen, we're going to have some good conversations about him over the next couple of years if he hangs around because <laughs> he's a very unusual player. Yeah,
3: that is true. That is true.
1: All right, let's. Uh, move what on. about this, mm. Arteta's ass? At Johnny Boy on Twitter. Been some chat around around this in the last couple of days. Would you give Elneny a new contract? I thought he was excellent in the chaos versus Chelsea and Man United. With European football next year, we need squad depth. He's safe on the ball, but adds composure to midfield. Well up by a squad, not a massive wages, never kicks up a fuss, etc. etc. This is one
3: of those where like he's He's looked like he's been on his way out more than once at oh, Arsenal. Yeah. Um, I guess it really depends on how well we can do other aspects of the business we need to do. Like I think as a squad player, he's he's really decent as a squad what age player. Is he? Let's he's twenty nine. He'll be thirty, 30 in, in the summer. Like.
1: I do, I do it. I would do it.
3: I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be opposed to it. Um, but I think it might depend on what else we're going to do in midfield because I think there's like this, the the conversation earlier in the season is like we've got to get the Xhaka upgrade, and I'm not necessarily sure that that's a high priority for the club or Mikel Arteta in the same way that it might be for certain sections of the fan base
1: like that's I feel, just I think the same as you on that i do think i have this sort of sneaky feeling that if shaka if arsenal get back into the champions league that shaka might feel like i've done what i wanted to do I have a slight hunch about that. You know, in his video the other day, he was like, I'm not leaving here until I feel like I've really achieved something. And I know getting back into the Champions League for some people, it's not the be-all and end-all and it's where we should be. But I do wonder if he might see that as Ooh, sort of I, redemption arc complete.
3: Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I I feel like he would want to play in the Champions League for Arsenal if he's helped us get back in there. Yeah, that's just my my feeling on it. Um, and I, I'm not I agree su- with you
1: that I don't think I su- I'd be surprised if the coaching staff are looking at him and thinking, "Well, we must replace this guy immediately." Um, yeah, like
3: don't get me wrong. I would uh, welcome additions to midfield. I think I I, I honestly think that um, a more mobile technical player in that left eight position. If you've got Partey in the position that he's playing in would be a real uh, positive addition to this squad and to the team. Like, I don't dismiss that uh, at all. I'm just thinking, like, I don't think that they would be thinking it as much as we are, if
1: that makes sense. No, and and to be honest with you, I find it hard to foresee a circumstance, let's put it like this, I find it hard to foresee a circumstance where Granit Xhaka stays at Arsenal and doesn't play a lot of football for Arsenal. Like, Mm. if he's here next season... He's playing a lot of the games. I think. I I don't disagree. But what about? I can't El- imagine him being on the bench. I just can't. No. I just don't see it. Like if he feels that's the way it's going, I think he'll go.
3: What do What do you make then? Um, you would give El what a two think, year well, or one plus one or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I
1: think I would. And it's not because I think he's a world beater or anything like it. I do think sometimes is he is a bit underappreciated. I mean, I, I think people forget that this is a guy who. He's a really important part of the Egypt team, regular international, has played yeah. on big stages. Um he's not a joke. Do you know what I mean? Like No, 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 no. No. He's he's a solid pro. And if he went to like a mid-table Premier League club, I think he'd be a really good player for for, for that sort of level. Um I think the reason I would keep him is just because I sort of think about Arteta's quote about I think he said I want 22 outfield players and three goalkeepers was that not, was, a, was that Edu who said that oh. I think that might have been Edu who said that because
3: he was talking and I haven't really seen a full transcript of it uh, he was talking to ESPN Brazil and talking about the transfer plans and, and we'll talk about one particular player in in, in a moment um, but I think that was what Edu said 22 outfield players three
1: goalkeepers um, I think it was Arteta I, I, oh, was I it okay, okay. I could oh, be wrong it in a okay. press conference if you ask me what I want, it's twenty-two outfield players. Uh, okay, and
3: all right. Sorry, I, I, I was sure I saw that quote attributed to Edu over the. Maybe weekend. they're That's both fine. saying it, Andrew. I mean, Maybe hopefully so. they're on the
1: same page with that. That would but be that would be handy. I haven't done all the, you know, counting up who we've got, but I just think if if what you require is debt, and now Nenny, in fairness to him, I think has literally come out and said I don't want any guarantees. I'm happy to be a bit pop player. I just love mm. living in London, being at Arsenal. Like, if you need a guy to be on the fringes of your squad, break break glass in case of emergency, which is basically what he's been this season. He's barely played until it was like, do you know what, we've got to use him because we require some stability. And he's come in and been really reliable, dependable in that circumstance, and who's happy with that job, and it's not an extortionate cost, and he's a good person to have around the training ground. Yeah, then not- I yeah. I sort of think that's a no-brainer.
3: I, You know what I think is an interesting aspect to this, just as you mentioned that, is the fact that he can come in having not played very much and perform really well. I think he was yeah. good against Chelsea and he was good against United. and He's one were, of the
1: fittest players in the squad. Yeah. A sort of pure stamina level.
3: Yeah, but also just like I thought his first 15 minutes against Chelsea were a little bit rusty. Mm. But after that, he was very good. And there were moments in the United game as well where... Like this idea that he only ever passes backwards and sideways, I get it because he is quite a safe player. But there were moments where he did progress the ball quite well. There was one brilliant bit, uh, uh, just a body shimmy and sent uh, a couple of United midfielders the wrong way. But mm-hmm. but the he fact He played that-
1: actively well against United. Yeah, United
3: he League. did. He did. But what I'm saying is that like he may spend a lot of time next week or next season on the bench if he stays. But you can be relatively confident that if you need him in, as you say, an emergency situation, he doesn't need three or four or five games to get up to speed because he's
1: got that experience. So Yeah, and it's a very different thing. Let's say you get a spate of injuries in midfield. It is just a very different thing turning to, you know, a twenty one year old guy or someone who's a, an experienced international. And and there are games and there are times where,
2: mm.
1: you know, like we have for much of the season, we've given those minutes to Lukonga and that's been the right thing for the direction of the club and the development of the player. But where we are now, it's crunch time. Mm. It's cup finals. And we have to eliminate risk as much as we can. Yeah. And El and Elneny, if he does anything, <laughs> for better or worse, it's eliminate risk. Oh, that's very true. Um, so, I would do it. I think, um,
3: like if they've got a it. better idea for midfield, bring it on. Yeah, you know, exactly. absolutely no problem there. But I wouldn't be hugely opposed to it, considering the um, the kind of deal that it would be.
1: Yeah, and, and, and this is it's I would not like I'm giving not at the expense a, of yeah. another signing. Like, yeah, yeah. I would want this. I would want you know. If we had, if it was sort of as an emergency backup, then yeah. But I would still, like you, love to see a more technically Mm. gifted, adventurous central midfield player. You know, Tielemans has been mentioned or somebody of that nature come in and strengthen the group generally, Mm. give you an alternative to Shaka. Sure, I'm all for that. Um, But I just think if you want to underpin that with some reliable experience and a good character... I don't see why not.
3: Yeah. I think it's one they'll visit at the end of the season and see what, you know, see yeah. what kind of money we have to spend. I mean, there are some key positions obviously to be filled and and a striker or maybe two strikers is is uh, two forwards maybe rather than two strikers is something we have to think about. So it might depend, like Nenny's future might depend on what we have to pay to get other positions filled. Definitely, and, and how much business yeah. we
1: can do. But I think Arsenal are in quite a strong position with any because I think his priority has always been to stay with the club. You know, even when yeah. he went away on loan, I think he really loves being part of Arsenal. Um, and you probably couldn't say that about many other players this close to the end of the contract that the ball would sort of be in the club's court. Mm-hmm
3: okay here is a question we've had a couple of these so one from twitter from joshua matthews who's at gunner matthews what do you guys make of the gabriel jesus rumors do you think he would be the guy or the second striker or forward that we need and on the discord chris white 14 uh, goodly morning what do you make of the reports that gabriel jesus has been identified as the guy to solve our striker issues
1: uh well his price went up didn't it on saturday um Just the four goals, was it? Just the four goals. Well, it it makes loads of sense. I mean, I think it's something we've all talked about for a couple of years, pretty much since Arteta came into the club as a possibility. Um, Because obviously they worked together at City. He's not really been the man at City. He's he's 25, I think. He's approaching an age where he will want that. Um, He's got World Cups to think about, things like that. I think it's a deal that makes... A ton of sense. Um, I, I the only thing I would say is I I would probably want him to be one of two. That's all. I, I yeah. just think given, given that so much of his football has been played wide, and I, I think it'd be great to have him as an option and someone who can play different positions in the front line. I probably would want to supplement that with maybe a more archetypal centre forward as well. Mm. Um, if you did that. I think you'd be in a really strong position. What do you think? I'm like you. I think it makes
3: a lot of sense. Um, This is a guy who's got loads of Premier League experience, loads of Champions League experience, decent goal record for Man City. I know he hasn't scored a load this season, but he's 89 goals in 229 appearances, 40-odd assists as well. You know, there'd be no settling in. And I think if, you know, if you're looking at Lacazette leaving and Kettia leaving, maybe Pepe leaving as well, if he is one of two, then I think you'd be a very good one, you know? Um yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I think there's always an element when you're linked with a player. There's going to be a certain number of people who are just like, no, this is a bullshit signing. Don't like it. Don't like anything about it. You know, and we've seen from um, the summer just gone that that you need to give players a chance. Um, I just think in, in profile terms, he'd be a really good addition to this squad. I don't know how you can watch Arsenal with all due respect to Lacazette and Nkedia this season, You know, both of whom have had some good moments. But I don't know how you could possibly turn your nose up at Gabriel Jesus, if that's no, what you've been mind. watching he all He
1: understands season. the kind of tactical discipline mm. that Guardiola and I think to an extent Arteta want to have in a team. He works really hard off the ball, Mm. presses well. He's athletic. I I, I think, yeah, I mean, he ticks a lot of the boxes and he would give us options and goals. So I'd be all for it. I think uh, I also really like the narrative of like a guy who hasn't quite been the main man Mm. somewhere and sort of wants that for himself. I always think that's a great kind of motivating factor in a move. Um. so I'd be excited by it to be honest
3: yeah me too and like financially it's probably quite a smart move as well because he's heading into the final year of his contract and, yeah. and that plays a part and you know we do have more than one player to sign uh, this summer so if we have to look at certain players who are at certain periods in their contractual situations mm-hmm. I think that's, that's what we got to do
1: Opportunistic, I mean, yeah, yeah, mentioned Tielemans, that's another one, 12 months. Mm. Um, and I think Arsenal are pretty focused on Premier League experience, I think they want that this summer. Um, and I get it because you know they it enables those players sometimes to hit the ground running, and I think that would be really useful, Mm. be necessary because we might not have we might only have new strikers, basically, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Um, John8oy on Discord says, "Fuckety, fantastical morning to you both. (laughs) Uh, I'd love to know how you think Ramsdale is doing. To me, he's made some good saves, but he's been pretty shaky in recent weeks. And I'm wondering if that's feeding out to the rest of the defence or if it's their shakiness affecting him. Or is it simply the whole team is emotionally all over the place due to the pressure of the top four race like the rest of us? Um... I
3: think we dismiss the emotionally all over the place thing. Although, you know, you do have to factor that in. I they think. are human. Yeah. yeah. Of um, I think he's had some shaky moments. But I don't remember any, like the one against Man United at the weekend, that was a big mistake. But we got away with it because the team has switched on. And I guess it's just the same as a defender making a mistake and then the goalkeeper making a save, isn't it? Um, it's just goalkeeper mistakes are seen as a slightly different. What I liked about that, though, I didn't like the mistake itself. Um, that was <laughs> no, so, that was bad. Yeah. However, maybe two minutes later, he tried the same kind of pass into midfield. And that's what he was trying. I think he was trying a pass into midfield, didn't get Six it right, try, played it straight. Yeah. Down. But he didn't then just say, fuck it, I'll just lump the ball. And he made a successful pass a couple of minutes later into midfield, We turned and uh, drove into the United half. And I like that aspect of it. I like that part of him and his character where he doesn't crumble. And I think we, do we forget? I don't know if we forget, but he's only 23, which is very young in the life of a goalkeeper. And um, I still think by some distance, the, the good outweighs the, the iffy moments, if you like, when it comes to to Ramsdale in terms of what he's brought to the side. So like any 23-year-old player, I think he is going to have some fluctuations in form, some games where things don't go quite as well for him as others. But, you know, he hasn't thrown one in or anything like that. So the other other side of that, though, where – Like, is he shaky because the defence is shaky or is the defence shaky because he's shaky? I think that's quite interesting. And there was another uh, question here from Rich B, who's at Rich Gooner uh, 1886 on Twitter. He said, what do you make of our defence since the international break? Teams seem to be able to get at us much more easily lately. Is this solely down to the loss of tyranny and party,
1: or something more tactical? I think the, the absence of the fullbacks and Partey, I mean, if you think about, uh, for, for the first half of the season, we spoke about it as a back five, you know, yeah. the goalkeeper and the back four. And we're missing two components of that. But then Partey, in you know, our best run of the season, was the guy playing in front of that and winning a lot of duels and being a big physical presence in that area of the pitch. So I'm sure that's a factor. Mm. Um
3: Yeah, I think the inconsistency of selection, I mean the the fact that we were able to to
1: to feel hugely consistent yeah. at one stage and we benefited from that. Yeah. I think there is individual form as well to consider. Like, you know, I don't think Gabrielle or Ramsdale are playing as well as they did in the first half of the season. But again, it's true. Yeah. is the relationships are the relationships part of that? maybe I mean we could really do with a clean sheet we could really do with one um, mm. it feels like it's been a while am I wrong about that
3: I can't no remember. you're not because we conceded against United and we obviously lost uh, and Chelsea and we lost the uh, the three games uh, before that so you don't lose uh, you can't
0: um, yeah
1: and this, this may be kind of simplification but I do think sometimes clean sheets beget clean sheets you know mm. there is a kind of a relationship and a momentum to that um last clean sheet was villa the villa yeah exactly and you know we put together plenty uh in the first half of the season and i think just one or two of those would would give a bit more confidence to to that defensive mm. unit um
3: i mean i do think there is a you know we 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 can talk about party and i think his absence is is important but as willing as the replacements are i think there's a fairly significant quality gulf between the first choice and second choice fullbacks
1: definitely i mean um, you know it's a it's it's a big it's a substantial gap these aren't guys who it's like well on your day you could pick one or the other you know hmm. i think it's pretty clear who the first choice is um on ramsdale i think has his form dropped off since the first half of the season i think yeah I think there have been a couple of... I think you're right, he's not chucked one in, but there have been certainly a couple of goals where you've thought, eh, mm. he'd probably think he could do better there.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but I think, you know, if you look at his calendar year 2021, the second half of the season at Sheffield United, the first half of the season at Arsenal, he had a, a very good 12 months and actually... I think that's relatively atypical in goalkeepers, from what I understand. Like, there's a lot of there is fluctuation in form. Like, Edouard Mendy was sensational, probably up there with Ramsdale's best goalkeeper in the league. First half of the season, he's been having a a, a trickier time of late. I think goalkeepers are a bit like strikers. Shot stopping is a bit like goal scoring. Like statistically, it's sort of it's a bit wild. It goes up and down. Um, In terms of like the skittishness and the nervousness, I do think there's a bit of a mischaracterization of who he is in that you know when he was playing very well I think um you know you'd hear people say like oh we've got our new David Seaman and I've got, I got to tell you like he's no David Seaman like <laughs> he, like he's much more Jens Lehmann than he will ever be David Seaman I yeah completely agree with that and and I think that I mean, not all of us will remember Yens that well because you know we're so old now. But watching Jens was quite a stressful experience. <laughs> <laughs> he um, had
3: his moments, like he he, you know, he had his moments. Particularly in in Europe, I remember some games where, yeah, he he made some poor decisions and cost us goals in in games. Yeah.
1: and and I, and I honestly think you know, and I like Ramsdale. Mm. But I think he's much more that sort of goalkeeper. And I think that he's someone who will come for something other goalkeepers won't come for, or he'll try pass other goalkeepers won't play. And that the consequence of that is that you will see moments that are, that appear skittish or scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And that, and they knew that when they bought him. And it's part of why they bought him. And... The ultimate decision, I guess, the ultimate factor in like whether that's a good or a bad thing, I think really, I, a you've got to look at results, and then b you've got to ask centre halves, and mm. that that would be the interesting thing to ask a centre half how they feel about it. I think I think they probably would be positive, but I, I only bring that up just to say that like the but- idea that he's ever going to be ice cold, mm. pulse never quickens. I just, no. I don't think that's the type of goalkeeper no, no, we bought.
3: No, no. He's, he's pretty full on. And look, I think Ben White loves it. I, I, there was an interesting comment from Arteta after the game as well, where he talked about certain players being um, on the cusp of not making it because of various issues that they had. And he talked about Bakayo Saka, who obviously got injured and went off injured. But he mentioned Ben White as well. And we know that there have been some Uh, You know, he's probably carrying a knock. He's played a lot of football for for Arsenal and England this year. He plays pretty much all the time. Um, I think he's got more minutes than anybody else for Arsenal this season. And Gabriel has had a a child recently or his partner's had a child recently. So there's changes to lifestyle and things like that. So I think when you add that to little fluctuations in form, the absence of the two key fullbacks, the absence of Partey. I think that goes some way to explaining the the slightly um, or much less secure nature of our
1: defending. But also, are we a different team? Like, are we playing different football in the second half of the season? Because our attacking numbers are better too. So is there mm. a degree to which we have sacrificed something?
3: Yeah, um, that would be worth looking into, I, I do I wonder
1: about that. Uh, I, I thought you make a good point about the Ramsey pass, and that comes back to my thing about sort of fear and anxiety among players. I mean, a player who's scared after they have a pass intercepted just puts the next one into touch. Do you see what I mean? Or yeah, just, yeah, you know, yeah. Safety option, yeah. And, and I do think that although Arsenal made mistakes playing out from the back against United... By and large, ninety percent of the time, they stuck at it, and, mm-hmm. and I think um, that shows their sort of commitment to the plan. Yeah, but yeah, I, I, it's it's an interesting one as well because you've got such a good second choice goalkeeper. That's the other reason that Rams doesn't into discussion because this season. Yeah, exactly. Like, and that's not probably not a long term. Mm-hmm. I know they think really highly of Matt Turner, but uh, it's probably, you know, Leno probably isn't going to be here next year. So as long as he is here, people there may be some discussion of like, wow, mm. you've got an experienced alternative, why not do it? And I'm not saying don't. I think Bern Leno's really confident and capable and a very good goalkeeper in his own right. Um and if Ramsdale I don't think he's I don't think he deserves to lose the number one shirt, but you know, he's at an age where if he does, he'll probably get it back. I mean, mm. it, it is mad when you look at the league. He's twenty-three. I think I can only think of one other goalkeeper in the league playing at a sort of comparable age, and it's Melia at Leeds, mm. whose form is always, up. who's really talented, but form is always up and down. So, I think there is some hope that, like, he will definitely improve. He should improve over the next five years or whatever it might be. But I, 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 it's just that word of warning of like, he's never going to be, um, Mm. he's he's always going to be who he is, you know?
3: Yeah, I think that's true. And, uh, you know, for the most part, I,
1: I really, really like it. Um, I mean, look I can- at what he did after Bruno penalty, which was absolutely mental.
3: I, I mean, it was amazing. I loved it, though. We had a question about it. Dean, who's at DJ Stanners on Twitter, said, on a scale of zero to full key on, how good was Ramsdale's celebration on Rat Boy's penalty miss? And it's like, he didn't even save it
1: no i mean <laughs> i think i think as a goalkeeper any miss i think they claim any you know you feel like you've won some sort of yeah, 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 battle yeah, yeah. but as we said in part one bruno basically gets it right he just you know mm. he's just two inches from the bottom corner but but i, I mean, mean how, yeah, can yeah, how can you not can love you not,
3: that how can you i mean
1: yeah i know
3: i think you can forgive a player mistakes you know if you know their heart is in the right place or they have the character to sort of just shake them off in a way which some people might not appreciate but i i think mistakes as baggage are are like poison to footballers you know some footballers Th- some footballers i mean some of them just will make a mistake okay fuck it you know on that's, it. you know that's-
1: that theo walcott had that didn't he He'd miss a chance next one puts for the better or corner. worse yeah yeah, yeah. Can carry it with him and i, I actually do think that um because there was quite a lot of commentary, sort of, you know, online about Ramsdale off this game, and i th- I thought that was a little bit harsh. Actually, I think he did. I think it's definitely a conversation worth having because I agree that his form is not at the kind of insanely high standard it was in the first half of the season. But I thought in this game it's obviously a really glaring mistake with the pass. But I thought. He probably got more wrong than right, and actually, the weight of that second half save at that point in the game, which he tips onto the near post, shouldn't be. Even that, did out.
3: you? Did you see the reaction after that? Like he he yeah, made again. the save, it bounced off the post, and he turned. I didn't quite turn to the crowd, but gave the crowd a come on, like, come on, like fist up kind of thing. Look, give me that all day of the week, all day. <laughs> you know, I re- I lo- I do. I love it. I love it, and like I think. <sighs> Player opinion can can fluctuate, um, but I, I just I like his confidence and I like his character and I like his his ability and I think at twenty three years of age he's got it all ahead of him. So if there are gonna be some bumps in the road as there are with this team, why wouldn't there be for individuals? I think we have to just sort of accept that and, and uh enjoy it for what it is. Will we do a few quick ones before we go because we've been yeah, going Lex, I wanna yeah, get yeah. this out and I know that people are waiting for the for the podcast. Um we had a couple here about this uh, Uh, Joseph Patrasi who's at Joseph Patrasi on Twitter said what did you make of Skulls calling Arteta a disgrace for riling up the crowd during United's VAR review I thought it was brilliant and shows the connection between the manager and the fans and Eddie Longbridge at Eddie Longbridge had a very similar question he said what did you make of uh, Paul Scholes comments labelling Arteta a disgrace personally I like Arteta's overly animated gestures and if it and if it upsets Paul Skulls, then that's brilliant
1: yeah I love all that Love Rio Ferdinand crying in the studio. Yeah, yeah. Love any sort of <laughs> Manchester United saltiness. Really enjoy it.
3: What about um, um, Richard Keyes? Did you see his? No, what did tr- he do? Richard Keyes posted a screenshot. Let me see if I can find it here. Um, he, he seems to have, like all the things that are wrong in the world and wrong with football, uh, he seems to have a particular bee in his bonnet about Mikel Arteta, being outside of his technical area. Sure. So he's posted a screenshot of like Arteta running down the touchline a bit. I, I, I guess taken from their studio, oh, the, the BN Sports Rich. studio, because it's like one of those big walls of TV screens or whatever. And he says, why is this irritating man allowed to spend 90 minutes outside of his panel, outside of his technical area? Can't the fourth see this? Presumably means the fourth official.
1: Um, I mean,
3: fucking shave I, I, I your listen, paws,
1: you fuck. Yeah, it's such bullshit. I mean, I also saw in, in on the subject of sort of pissing everybody else off. That same journalist came out with his tweet about you know whoever gets fourth, you know, won't deserve it. They're the best of a bad bunch. These tweets only happen when Arsenal are in fourth. I noticed Um. Oh, this is the Man United guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So. All that saltiness, I'll I'll drink it up. Uh, it's delicious.
3: I did. I did also enjoy the the. The Man United, lad. There were some clips during the rounds. Um, oh, the boy Goldbridge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. bloody hell. Bloody hell. He's I fucking grand. hate football. What bloody <laughs> hell. It's terrible. Yeah. Oh. And I know a lot of it is just performing for the cameras. Like a lot of that watch along stuff is absolutely like who can be the most manic to get, you know, memes. Know, yeah. What I should tell you before we go, I had the most vivid dream of my life. Come on. The other day. I was... I was playing football. I was picked to play up front for Spurs against
1: Arsenal in a North Ugh. London derby. This isn't a dream, Andrew. It's a nightmare. It was fucking
3: nightmares, right? And everyone knew I was like a 50-year-old Arsenal fan. I was thinking, how the fuck am I going to be able to do it at Premier League level? These guys are fast. And the manager, whoever he was, came in and went, we're going to give you the start. And I was sitting there going like, oh. Uh, and I scored. I scored. Oh, man. No celebration. No celebration. I did like, you know, in um, uh, Arrested Development, where there's like, doo-doo, doo-doo, and I was just like trudging along. But because I was so very obviously miserable at scoring, I became like this internet meme sensation. People were doing GIFs. It was like, look oh. at a unhappy footballer guy. It was terrible. It was yeah, really sort of
1: terrible. It involved
3: dream. Yeah. And really, I really didn't enjoy it. And it was one of those where I was like, I was playing football. I've got to do my best because I'm playing football. But
1: imagine if Spurs get the, an injury crisis up front. You get the call from Antonio, Andrew, we need an emergency striker. You know what I would do? What? I'd say, oh, okay, I'll,
3: I'll, <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it. And then I would basically two foot Harry Kane. I'm sorry. Yeah. I have no choice. Like, I, I would be suspended from football for all time. I would become a figure of hate, I'm sure, in England. All the England fans would be going, look what you've done. You've denied us our our, our greatest striker. And I'd say, look, I'm sorry. I had a responsibility to <laughs> Arsenal it- Football Club.
1: <laughs> I had to. I, I mean, to be honest, Andrew, I think I, and Harry Kane would probably already have to be injured before you got the emergency call-up to play as a striker for Tottenham. But... That's a
3: good I point. Appreciate I appreciate really it.
1: Imagine North London Derby penalty, Tottenham to win it last minute. You're obviously playing up front, Spurs. Harry's yeah. out. Don't worry, guys. I'll take this one. I give Ramsdale the little link. Give him the can, wink. Gonna go there. Gonna go to the it, left. Put, yeah, you, you shimmy. You, you stutter in the run up. Oh, of course no, you do.
3: My run up would be like, and then I would just barely tickle it with my foot. In fact, not. Does it have to be strong enough to reach the goal?
1: I think it's still in play, isn't it? We tried to score like that one So I think you'd have to go. You know, out for a throw, maybe. That'd be fucking amazing. Out for throw, run into Ramsdale's arms. There's a cascade of booze from the Just Spurs fans. Like a reverse Keyon Van Nistelrooy yeah, exactly. thing. You know? Yeah, exactly. Just embrace. <laughs> uh, we well, did we a, can but dream.
3: We we can. Very final one then. Uh, Rambo on the Discord, seeing as we're talking about this, said, what are your favorite penalty misses by opponents?
1: Isn't it, it's got to be Ruud Van Nistelrooy, hasn't it? Two thousand four, 2003, rather. Yeah. Um,
3: I mean, there was a great one back in the day, Brian McClare. Whacked one over the bar, which sparked a big... Um, I think for the significance spark- of it as well, yeah. I'd
1: have to mention Raquel May, you know, for what it what it meant uh, in terms of us getting through. That's just a group.
3: great bit of TV footage as well, though, isn't it? Yeah. Because it's like, you know, the high noon kind of yeah. director going between Lehman and Raquel May. That's true. To Lehman, to Raquel May. Ra- Raquel May with his, like, big white spit. And you knew then... Like, nobody would spit that wide, is going to score a penalty. And he didn't. <laughs> Enjoyed the Troy Deeney one from a couple of years ago as well, because that was good, because he'd been mouthing off about Arsenal, hadn't he? Uh, you know, the cojones oh, thing. Oh, that was good. Cajones, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. where is your cojones now, guy? Um, um, I'm sure there are others,
1: but I can't think of them at this point. That's a good little selection, though. Mm. Um Right, I actually have to run. I know. I have to call it a day, Andrew. I have to call it a day. We
3: we do have to get this podcast out as well. So look, um, thank you guys, uh, as always, for listening. Sorry it's a bit late, uh, but better late than never and all that kind of stuff. We did beat United. It was good fun. We enjoyed it. Hope you did too. And we'll catch you on the next one.
1: Bye-bye.